The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyot. My name is Michael Guyot, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the hour is Greg Duncan. Greg, introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What's your background? Have you got involved in the market? And are you bored easily? <laughs> well, hey guys, my name is Greg, and I'm a fourth year trader focused on technical analysis and momentum swing trading. I graduated from Purdue University two years ago with a business degree and Really, what got me into the market was the COVID crash. I, I'm sure that's not a surprise to many as that's when a lot of people started. But, you know, just seeing the markets tank day after day was something that really interested me. And then obviously, you know, the, the psychology behind it all got me interested. So, yeah, that's when I that's when I really started studying the likes of people like Mark Minervini, William O'Neill, Nicholas Darvis. Jesse Livermore, just the traditional momentum swing and position trading type technical analysis traders. And yeah, I mean, that's that's really what, what got me interested. But, you know, do I get bored easily? I try not to in the market because that's boredom will cause you to start making dumb decisions. So you mentioned the, the business degree. I might still graduate with a finance and management degree a long time ago. But did you find that the, the things that you learned in getting the business degree have, have at all helped in terms of thinking about trading and investing? I would say, yeah, honestly, overall, just like getting a good. F- so I, I graduated with a general business degree. So I took, you know, finance, econ, just the intro classes to pretty much every facet of business. And something that's useful there is just being able to come into the market with an open mindset in terms of just different strategies, different, you know, points of view and, you know, just being open to what people have to say. I think. There's a lot of different ways to make money in the market, whether it's, you know, value investing or momentum or whatever. So yeah, just, you know, and you can learn from all those, all those types of strategies and build it into your own. So I would say, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing, just a general business degree has helped me, you know, coming to the market with an open mind. I'm going to assume it also gives you some, some degree of structure, right? That you know that there are certain things that you can read, certain textbooks, certain ways of looking at a new domain that you're getting involved in rather than just yeah, you know, what you see on X slash Twitter in terms of people just kind of yoloing and things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, structure for any strategy in the market is literally the biggest thing to to being successful. And that's not just in the market, it's it's everywhere. I've been an athlete all my life and you know, I've competed at very high levels throughout the, you know, entire world circuit. 
and structure there is everything. I mean, you have practice at set times every day. You know exactly what you have to do. Mar- the market's the exact same thing. You have to have a pre-market routine, a during-the-market routine, a post-market routine. I mean, all that stuff adds up. And whether it's a business degree or any sort of sport or schooling, like that, that structure is what allows you to, to progress and grow. What, the, what sport did you play? Diving. I'm Diving. still, I'm, yeah, I'm still doing it, but you're training for the, for the 2024 Olympics. That's the goal. Good for you. Yeah. No, that's, 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 I always give a lot of credit to those that play at a high level. Obviously, if you're going to be an athlete, you got to be very disciplined and discipline is, is kind of an interesting thing. I think when you're discretionary, yeah, I've got rules based strategies to get the emotion out purposely. Exactly. Uh, right. And, you know, have to be disciplined on that because that's what the prospectus is designed to kind of express. How do you, how do you think about discipline the last three years? Because it's been, for lack of a better way of saying it, pretty wild ride. Yeah, it's been insane. I mean, so I, like I said, I started trading in, in March of 2020. Uh, April's when the market got real good. You know, luckily I was able to sidestep all the mess, but you know, yeah, I, I started in 2020. It was really easy to be undisciplined and have no structure and still make just a ridiculous amount of money. And then, you know, come February 2021, that's when, at least in the, the growth investing side of things, that's when uh, stuff hit the fan. And so if you don't have that discipline and if you don't have that structure, it's so easy to get emotional, like you said, and, and just start YOLOing your, your portfolio into things just to try to make back money. And that mindset of not having discipline or not having structure is, is the easiest way to lose all of your money very quickly. So you met, you mentioned February 2021 and, you know, that's when all the, the kind of meme stuff started going absolutely bonkers in the media with also the top for a lot of things. Yeah. But walk us through how you were thinking about or, or, or reacting off of that period. I mean, the narrative was return of retail, return of retail, return of retail, return of the discretionary trader. And then just as the headlines were saying that, you know, everything started, you know, kind of breaking apart. But what were you doing throughout that period? Well, it's actually funny. So January of 2021, I had my best month ever. I was up like 21 or 22% in a single month. And I saw Mark Minervini was also competing for the U.S. Investing Championship at the same time. And I saw his return of January and we were right there. And of course, me being a year and a half in, I was like, oh, dude, I'm trading as good as Mark Minervini, like multi-time U.S. Investing Champion, all this stuff. And that was quintessential top action, right? Like... (laughs) Some dude with a year of experience thinks he could trade like Mark Minervini. And I mean, after right into February of that time, like my accounts hit new highs. And then since then, I've, I'm still trying to get back to it. And that's kind of the, the oh crap moment where you realize like, oh, this is actually a hard game. You know, all that news and stuff, all the discretionary trading, retail trading's back, AMC, all that stuff. You know, it, it sounds good in theory. It's really easy to make money during those times, but it's it's actually keeping it. That's the hardest part. And so when you get two to three years like we've had over the past, you know, recent times, it's it's difficult and it, you, you begin to see how easy it is to lose money because you you know, if you don't have discipline like we talked about, like I said, it's just it's easy to to focus on the wrong things. But I appreciate the the honesty. Because uh, you know, there are a lot of you know, I think retail discretion traders are like, oh, I'm making new highs every single month. And, you know, it's all largely, I think, nonsense or outright luck. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, I almost tweeted this morning, like, I just wish there was more accountability on this platform overall. 
like from any type of trader because it's so easy to hop on and just see, oh, well, I'm up 10% today. What do you do? And, you know, if you have a red day on your portfolio, you're like, wow, I suck at this, you know? And that's why I've tweeted a bunch just about different mindsets to have towards social media, especially while the amount of information we have is just infinite. But you can find any sort of person on this app. And, you know, if you can find someone who's real and accountable and and that's who I try to be, you know, I'm not here making 10% on my account every day. In fact, I'm I'm going through it just like, you know, 99% of people are. And so that's that's just the biggest thing about social media and the market right now. It's just so easy to find people who think it's or show, try to show that it's like the easiest game in the world. And it's just not. How much do you think that wrong mentality is driven by social media versus aid? And I, I know there's a connection there, but where I'm going with that is, you know, I think the difference between a novice, you know, what I call the nouveau bulls, right? And somebody who's experienced is somebody who has experience that's been humbled. And recognizes, oh, yeah. right, recognizes that drawdowns are part of the game. You got to stick to your approach, even when you're in that drawdown and not stop. How, how, do you, how do you think about that sort of part of it? We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Yeah, I mean, there's... The the less amount of experience you have in the market, I think the easier you think it is. And so whoever, you know, you're trying to sell to, if you have like some sort of service or whatever, it's easy to to put on this facade like, oh, you know, the market's easy. Like, let me show you how to do it. When a lot of times that's what people on social media are looking for, right? Like you're looking for someone who's willing to go out and say, this is the way, follow me. In the market and a lot of things in life, there's not an easy way. Like following what some guru or guru says a lot of times doesn't work out. And what, you know, whether that's someone, the, the reason is because someone's just looking for something to do or, or whatever. It's just never that easy. And so I think, like I said, one thing that I want to be consistent in my messaging, you know, for the, the content that I put out is like, look, I'm struggling too. I mean, this is a, it's a real game and. Kind of what you just said about drawdowns. Like, <laughs> I think you're going to be in a drawdown like 95% of the time that you're in the market. As long as those drawdown, you know, drawdown lows are just making higher lows, then you're, then you're doing something right. I, I also think you just, because you're an, an athlete, you probably have more respect for the process of building, you know, your, your, your skills up, right? I mean, you know, it, it's when you, well, I'm sure, yeah, you correct me wrong this. When you start off diving, it's like everything else, you probably suck at it. Right. The more you do it, the more your your muscles acclimated, the more pain you might feel. You know, in a particular dive, the, the stronger you get. I, I I I do personally think that if you have an athletic mindset, you're probably less likely to fall for the the bullshit that you often see on social media. For sure. I mean, just think about Steph Curry, right? Like, okay, he'll get fifty point games or he'll get career high games here and there. You know, maybe once a season if he's lucky. But the majority of the time, he's getting twenty, thirty points, and obviously that's incredible in the NBA. 
But that's his baseline. Like technically, he would be in an all-time career point game drawdown, you know? And so that mindset of like, okay, if I can just make my worst days a little bit better and I'll keep growing over time. And then obviously, you know, when I get into a good market, then I'll be able to, one, I'll have the capital to be able to capitalize. And two, I'll have the mindset of like, okay, this is the time to hit it. I've learned a lot. I've been on a drawdown. Now it's time to get back. I mean, yeah, like, like you said, it's just any sort of, whether it's a sports mentality or just a level-headed perspective of like, okay, my life's not going to always be sunshine and rainbows. My account's not always going to be hitting new highs. Like there's always going to be some sort of drawdown or hardship. And however you deal with that is what's going to determine, you know, do you have anything left to make it out on the other side? It's the same with sports too. Yeah. And confidence is a big part of that, right? I mean, you have to have confidence that, you know, you'll, you'll get to the Olympics in order to train to get to the Olympics, right? I mean, it's the same sort of idea, right? You got to have confidence when you're going to draw down that you're going to make new eyes. Otherwise, you're going to stop and never make new eyes. Exactly. But it, and the hard thing about confidence is so many people, I think, look at confidence as being something that's results-based. And there's definitely merit to that mindset. But confidence in it itself is something that you build every day by going through the process, by going through your routines, by doing the right things. And that's really where the confidence comes. Because like I said, if you're going to have a bad practice or a bad game or a bad couple months of trading, like, and your confidence is something you've derived from performance, then you're going to have none. You know, And that's where the, the real growth happens when you realize confidence is something that's built through your daily actions and not so much the results. And that's the same thing as, you know, I don't dive or I don't trade to, you know, have some incredible outcome. I do it because I love the, the, the action of trading or the studying of the market or whatever. And that's really where, you know, the love and the confidence comes from. If you don't have that, then long term, you're just, you're just screwed for sure. That's always been a, kind of a personal belief of mine. I think a lot of people think that you get confident after you've been successful. I, I, and, you know, I think because this is what you're saying, you have to be confident to get successful. Exactly. Which almost means you have to be a little bit insane, right? Because you're basically, you have to somewhat fool yourself, right, into believing that you will be able to achieve something you have not achieved yet. Yeah, I mean, at the start of anything, right, you have to have this sort of, from an outside perspective, irrational confidence. Like people will ask, where did his confidence come from with no prior results? And that's what separates the good people from the great people. I mean, all the most successful people in any endeavor, you've all, I mean, it's, it's common to hear them say, yeah, I believed in myself when no one else did. And it's not something that's by chance. I mean, that sort of mindset and that sort of character characteristic is what separates the people who succeed and who don't. I mean, the only way you're going to get through hardship is by having the confidence that you'll get through the hardship. And that's what the market teaches so effortlessly. All right. So let's go back to you started in 2020. There's a lot of emojis and things that people throwing <laughs> gippies, right? There's a way of yep. identifying the kind of gamification part of things. But yeah, I retweeted, I share at the top of the nest, you know, the, uh, the books that you read. When it comes to trading, investing, I've myself spent a lot of time, as it sounds like you have, reading, which is seemingly a lot of skill nowadays. Uh, <laughs> you know, these, these got long, you know, these kind of big books. And, you know, it's not like these, these trading books are necessarily always right, but it gives you different perspectives. And 
I personally believe the more you absorb, the better you'll be, right? But talk about just sort of how you went about going back to that term structure, the structure of your reading material. Because as you alluded to, you know, you've read a lot of books, but some of them, or maybe most of them, just aren't worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, there's this quote by Naval, and I, I don't know the exact quote, but he basically says, you know, there's an infinite amount of information out there. You There's the, the point of what he's trying to say here is you have to be able to choose and, and decide which things are worthwhile of your time. And yeah, I mean, you could read a hundred different trading books all on different topics. And I think that's probably good to do at the start. But once you find something that resonates you, resonates with you, you got to lock down and just read the crap out of those, study the crap out of those, because that's the only way you're going to find consistency in your thought. If you're trying to jump from book to book, from concept to concept, you won't have any structure in your thought. And so, if you, you know, going back to what you actually do to, you know, find those 10 books is you just got to, from the start, have an open mind and say, okay, well, this may not resonate with me. Let me just move on. And you don't have to read a hundred books all the way through. You know, if you got two chapters through and you're there, well then, okay, move on. But yeah, I mean, the 10 that I've read, the structure that I, I followed to get there was I knew the the swing trading slash technical analysis niche was where I wanted to go. And I just looked up a bunch of the the best books. And then I you know, was looking on Twitter, like who are the most followed accounts in, in that niche and what are they tweeting about? And then Livermore, O'Neill, Darvis, and Minervini were all kind of in that space. So I was like, all right, well, let me just lock down and read those. And then you hear about success stories of people who read those books and you're like, okay, well, then there's something there. It's not just them doing it. It's hundreds of thousands of other people. And yeah, I mean, that was, that was the simple structure I followed to just be like, okay, this is the niche I want to go to. And it resonated with me. And so I just, I started reading the crap out of them. And I was spending, you know, 30 minutes to an hour per day of just, you know, handwriting notes in these books. I still have my How to Make Money in Stocks by William O'Neill. And it's got, you know, just posted notes and no, it just looks beat up, but it's got just a ton of great information and, and ways of me writing stuff down to just memorize the whole thing. And, you know, that's how things solidified in my brain. And it, it doesn't look, as I go through that list, that they're necessarily, you know, pure technical analysis types of types of books. No, and that's the thing. Like, at least I, I've noticed over the past two to three years, my book selection has changed, right? So I got the technical piece down. And I, I understand that point pretty well because you can just study the crap out of it to get it. But... You know, as you develop as a trader, it becomes more mental. Everything becomes more mental. And it's the same thing in, in diving, like my sport. At some point, it's not so much the action of diving, but what goes on in between my head. And it's the same thing as trading right now. I know what I want to trade. I know how to trade it. The difference between me and someone who's very successful is the psychology. So as my books progress, right? So there's like, you know, Darvis, how to make, you know, his box theory, you got to live more. And his just, you know, pivot point method. But as you dig deeper in these books, it, it becomes more of a psychology lesson. How are people thinking about the market? What are they doing that's different in terms of their performance, you know, their mindset towards getting better that I can learn from and that I can start to replicate? And, you know, lessons from the greatest stock traders of all time uh, by John Boyk in that thread. It's not so much about what 
strategies they used. It's the mindset that they used to go from good to great. And so I think, you know, the, the books I've been reading and rereading recently have all been by Mark Douglas and, you know, just the, his point of view on trading psychology. And I, I think that's where my next focus as a trader is, is going. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm personally a huge fan of behavioral finance. Um, yeah. I spent a lot of time going through a lot of the sort of psychological studies, the white papers themselves. And I think it's often missed because it takes a little bit of effort to actually think through, you know, behavior versus just looking at a chart. But obviously you do quite a bit of technical work from what I'm seeing. What do you find works and doesn't work when it comes to the technical analysis side? EOS, there's a, there, I could go on and on about that. But what works for me is, is looking at TA as a, almost a, I don't know, a carrier, a, a means to a, a return. A lot of people think of TA or their strategy as the end all be all, and it's the only way to go. There are so many different ways to interpret technical analysis. You know, there's RSI, there's different forms of RSI, there's MACD, there's all that stuff. And you can get paralysis by analysis so easily. And I think that's one of the the crowd mentalities is jumping from strategy to strategy, technical indicator to technical indicator. It's not an end-all be-all. It's never going to be 100% correct. And that's really what, that's the mindset that I've adopted that works. You know, whether or not, you know, I can get a winning trade off of a TA-based strategy two out of five times, cool. You know, it's never going to be five out of five. So I would say, you know, just getting that mindset of you have to find the strategy and the indicator that works for you. Something that works for me may not work for you and vice versa. And I think that's really where the the biggest misunderstanding of technical analysis comes from, from just the the general pot. Yeah, and I also think that, that there's an impression that technical analysis is about getting better upside. I, uh, I've referenced this example before, but I know the guys, you know, one of the guys at the CMT Association who works there. And, you know, he's always noted to me that they often see an uptick in people wanting to get the chartered market technicians charter, sure, usually, yeah. after, usually after a bear market, right? Because the appeal there yeah. is more about more of a downside protection. Is it fair to, you, to say that you view it the same, that it's less about sort of, you know, this is going to go up substantially versus, you know, this is where I can define my, my risk levels? Yeah, there, there's two pieces, right? So there's the risk piece and then there's the timing piece. And I think those two, when combined... Are, are what makes TA work. You can have a thesis on a name and it could be undervalued, overvalued, whatever. But until the chart, and this just goes back to that behavior or the, the psychology of it all, until the chart says this is the right time to be you know, trading with the market, it, you shouldn't do anything. And, and I think that's what TA is all about. One, like you said, you can manage your risk. But two, you can find that pivotal point, and this goes back to Livermore and, and just the great traders. You can find that pivotal point to when the market aligns with your thesis, and that's when you can hit it hard. Until then, it's a bunch of waiting. I mean, that's really all it is, and that's where people, most traders, are are really deficient at is the waiting piece. Right, which goes to the name of the space: trading your way out of boredom. Right, <laughs> that's exactly. We're, we're hitting on because I think you're right. It, it's um. Like it's boring to wait for a fat pit, 
right? People yep. are hardwired to want to get the consistent returns, the singles, but the reality is most of the time the game is won, you know, from just getting one massive home run, correct? Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, like, you could go multi- multiple months without hitting any singles. That That's kind of the thing that people don't understand. They want to just hit singles all the time. The market's never that easy. You know, maybe 2020, you could hit single, single home run and then just keep repeating that. But since 2021, like it's been a hard market to even just get singles depending on your style. And yeah, that that boredom piece and looking for action at all times, trying to hit singles at all times, it's it's just not reality, especially with the type of trading that I did. Right, which goes back to sort of the problems with social media because it, it, it makes you want to take a trade or makes you want to, you know, try to keep swinging for those singles and all you're doing is just exhausting yourself. Yeah, and, and it, again, it goes back to who you follow, right? Like if you don't have your following aligned with your strategy and, and what you want to do, you're always going to find someone, you know, executing their own strategy when the, when the time's right. And that's may not be when, when your time is right. So when you see people on Twitter or on X, whatever, saying, oh, you know, I, I bought this today and I made a ton of money and you're just sitting there like, well, dude, I didn't do shit today. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? And then that mindset is really what snowballs into, oh my God, like I'm behind, I'm not trading right, like all this stuff. Whereas again, you know, you have to have the confidence, you have to have the discipline to sit back and say, my strategy is going to underperform when others outperform. But there's going to be a time when mine is in the green and I got to be hitting it. And so keeping your mind fresh and waiting for that moment, kind of that fat pitch, is what will separate or what does separate, you know, the Mark Minervini's from from everyone else. Part of the the disciplines around knowing how much to weight a trade, right? I, I think this is probably, yeah, I have nothing to back this up more than just intuition, but I suspect the reason why and most of the studies show that retail traders end up, you know, not staying in the game you know, over like a two, three year period is they get some winning trade, the momentum's there, they're making money, that stock is treating them well, and that causes them to then keep on buying, 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 buying until, you know, something massive happens. And, yeah, you know, they end up losing more money than when they first bought because they kept on adding to the winning position, which again goes back to waiting. So how do you think about uh, sort of risk waiting in, in your own portfolio? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple different pieces there. But the, the main mindset that I try to adopt is that going back to technical analysis, it can be used as a hedge against your emotions, right? Like if I'm in love with Tesla and I'm just going to diamond hands the shit out of it and, and just buy it until it goes you know, to zero, basically, because I love the company, you know, that mindset could have been just easily altered with an idea of, okay, maybe I can keep buying above the 50-day moving average. But the second price goes below 50-day moving average on volume, I'm out. And so that just emotional piece of like, okay, well, I love this company or I love this chart, but it's broken at this point. And and that's where the TA piece comes in to say, this is where I'm going to manage my risk. This is where I'm going to turn off my emotions and say, this is, this is where I'm getting out. You can avoid that overweight feel of, of your portfolio being in one name. And then you can avoid waking up in the morning and thinking, oh shit, Tesla's down 1%. That's, you know, a new car or whatever your you know portfolio size is, just being able to sit back, reduce your emotions, and rely on what the chart is telling you. 
that'll make it easier to, you know, allot your portfolio to different names that are working at the time, right? Like I want to be heaviest in the names that work. And then if they break this level, you know, the size of my portfolio into that name is just reduced. There's no emotion around it. It's just my rules. And so that's kind of where your your system has to overtake your your emotion. And that's where you actually start to get some consistency as a trader. Okay, let's talk about as a transition, kind of the current environment. I have my own kind of macro thoughts, but I would go back to path matters more the prediction. And yeah, but if you're a discretionary trader, maybe what's going on around the macro and yeah, kind of global side doesn't matter so much for NVIDIA as clearly. <laughs> right. Which I keep yeah. and I keep going back to I'm not saying to short NVIDIA. I'm not saying puts. I I I personally think that NVIDIA, you know, obviously people have made a lot of money on it, but you know, you can make a lot of money in is, which I believe it is. The question is can you keep it? And maybe the risk exactly. manager can give you that, right? Maybe. But what are you what are you currently trading and what kind of your overall sense of yeah, you know, the way things are looking now? Yeah, so I keep it I try to keep it really simple when I look at the general markets and, and timing when I wanna be, you know, invested versus when I, I don't want to be invested. And so right now when I look at, you know, I don't know if you guys all have computers near you, but when I look at, you know, spy or QQQ or just the general markets, right? Like QQQ is under the ten and twenty EMA. Spy is under the ten and twenty EMA. So short term direction for me is is yellow to red. Like I don't want I'm in cash and I'm currently have like ninety eight percent cash position. You know, when we're above the ten and twenty EMA, that's when I feel comfortable in in putting money to work. But you know, we still have we've ran so much this year after such a hard. 2022 that, you know, we haven't even touched the 50 day yet since reclaiming it back in March if we're looking at the spy. So in terms of overall market analysis, I'm, I'm very patient here. And there's, you know, the macro view, I don't have so much of a opinion on. I try not to let that really influence how I trade. I really just try to look at price action. Yeah. So general market, I'm pausing. You brought up NVIDIA. I think it's, and I tweeted about it. I think it's the market's leading stock. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to see that. And it's above its 20 exponential moving average. So for me, this is a little bit better off than the Spire QQQ is, which makes sense. It's its own stock. It, it can do what it wants. But yeah, for me, there's not a ton. Like if we look at Tesla, this is below the 50-day, right? So it's even worse off than the Spire, the QQQ. So that kind of mindset allows me to to say, okay, it's, it's a mixed bag from the market's leading stocks. If you pull up Apple as well, it's getting hammered below the 50-day today, falling through down after a poor reaction on earnings. So that kind of mindset, if we have Apple and Tesla doing poorly, but we got Netflix, maybe you can look at Meta or NVIDIA as well, all kind of holding up, it's a mixed bag. And so I, I use that, whether I'm trading them or not, I use the the liquid leading market stocks to give me views on what institutions are doing. And uh, right now it's it's saying not much. By the way, as much as I <clears throat> poke fun at, you know, the squiggles, as I like to call it, moving averages do have predictive power, at least in terms of volatility. So I think it the studies on moving averages are interesting. So you end up having and this is you know actually pioneered by Met Favor from Cambria, but if you just do a simple moving average, you know, type of strategy, you end up having 
pretty much the same returns as buy and hold with a lot less volatility, which tells you that moving averages are about volatility in general. Do you take directional short bets at all? Did you say directional short bets? Is that what you said? Yeah, 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 exactly right. Yep. When the market, no. Short answer, no. When the market really is getting beat up, I mean, I guess I could have, you know, hindsight, hindsight's 2020. But, you know, 2022, everything got smacked. So short bets would have been easy there, right? But no, I, I try to focus long only. I think as my career progresses, I'll definitely be a little bit more willing to go short. But I would say it's it's a little bit more scary for me in my current state. But just it's a little bit harder to manage risk, I guess is a better way to say that. So much scary. By the way, I'm glad you perceive it that way because I think it's often missed by people. When you short, you have unlimited risk. Yeah. <laughs> when you go long, risk is zero. Exactly. I mean, your risk at any point, if you're long, is just the stock price going to zero. If you're short, the stock can go infinitely higher, your max upside is to the stock hitting zero dollars. You know, there's just inherently from from an RR perspective, more risk if we're talking infinite versus not if you go short. But yeah, I mean, I don't think I think the market's bias is usually long, no matter what type of industry or what type of strategy. But it just gets harder to to find those short pockets when the the general bias is up, you know. It, I guess more plainly stated, when the spy or the QQQ are above their fifty days and they're all rising, more than average wise. What about what about the options trading side? I mean, you, know, you mentioned you got in around the COVID crash in twenty twenty, and it seems like that's when the explosion in zero DT options, you know, gambling. I'd argue really kind of picked up. Did you did you play with that at all? No, I mean, I'm I'm still. I'm I'm figuring out that side of things. There's actually a a service I subscribe to called Gamma Edge. This is kind of the uh, the options way that I'm trying to learn how to to use that information. But as of now, no, I I don't do any zero DTE or one DTE or any of the the short term dated stuff. I think it's if if you're not careful, it's a really easy way to to lose a lot of money fast because there's just more leverage you can get with options than just playing with individual stock. Yeah, I think it's often missed by people. It's like, yeah, the surest way to go bankrupt is to leverage repeatedly, right? Yeah. It's only a matter of time, right? And then, yeah, the overconfidence gets you even more leverage. And this is the thing, just because back to the social media discussion, right? I mean, I think a lot of the, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, a lot of these kind of Discord plays and things that you see by, you know, large accounts, which are largely anonymous, tend to focus more on the options trading side rather than something that's fundamentally a good stock. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. Yeah, and, and what determines a fundamentally good stock may may differ on the person, but the, the, anything, any successful strategy comes down to risk management, no matter if it's options, stock, whatever. And so if you feel as if you're on a, a confident tie just YOLOing zero DT, zero DT stuff, you're going to get smacked eventually. And so I think avoiding the smackdown 
is one of the best ways you can ensure longevity in this market. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I would say at any point, I don't necessarily care what the reason is for something going up, if that makes sense. So like in, in your instance, seeing Rivian trucks around you, like I think Peter Lynch is a, a good example. I think his mantra was always buy what you know type deal. And, and obviously there's other very successful, I think Warren Buffett's kind of saying that mindset works when there's just an alignment of big institutions agreeing with, with your thesis, right? Like me buying a hundred shares or a thousand shares of Rivian will never actually move the price. But some institution that says, okay, this is my thesis. I'm going to start buying. That's really the time that things get into action. And so I use TA to see when that point is. I think that's kind of the, the basis of why I use it. So whether that's confirmation bias or not, whatever. The idea is I want to be in a stock, whether it's for fundamental or whatever reasons, when big money managers are also accumulating the stock and driving price up, if that makes sense. And that answered your question. First, I love the, the genesis of that because I think it's true. It kind of goes back to the fooled by randomness line from Talib, right? It's something may be going up, but it has nothing to do with, you know, a squiggle. Yeah. Like, oh. Right. But, but and that's really kind of what I hit on the most like when I, when I say that, right? It's like, unless you can, you can back test something in my world, in my view, to at least to know if there's some predictive power, you know, then you don't know if it's real or if it's just randomness. Now, you know, admittedly, there are cycles even to that too. I mean, I've had a hard time the last, you know, two years with my own strategies in the way they're constructed. But at least if you have some historical context that does provide, you know, if, if, if you can, you can bet that it's somewhat real, I guess, at the point. For sure. And, and you can always kind of, the thing about, the hard thing about backtesting, you just have to be careful. You can always curve fit results to kind of align with what you want to see. And so I think when, when conducting backtesting or really when studying any strategy, you always have to be careful of your own bias. Like, I think it's really easy for me to say like, oh yeah, I'm glued to the TA side of things because it's worked for me. Well, of course, I mean, we're emotional. I, I like making money. I don't like losing money. So if, if TA is my way to do it, then then good. But like Dylan, in your instance, if if something like Rivian, where you have a fundamental viewpoint of it, has worked for you multiple times, like that's your edge, right? That's what you do to make money in the market. And that's why it is a market. And so I, I would, I always just try to not judge other people for how they view the market, but more so just want to, you know, Hey, if you made money, good job. If, can you do it multiple times? Even better, you know? Yeah. Again, again, it goes back to social media, you know, which is, you know, people often retweet and like things which confirm their existing views. It, it, it's funny, right? It's like the last thing you want is to judge somebody else, unless it's something that you know is blatantly wrong, right? Because to your point, you know, if it's working for them, whether it's kill or luck, the reality is it's working, right? Whether sure. it works longer term, right, is a whole different question, but in a, in a small sample, you know, it's hard to sort of attack that, that the reasoning of somebody else. Now, having said that, you mentioned, you said a couple of times, sort of the idea of following people and reading content that kind of jives with you and who you are. Part of learning is trying to step outside of your own comfort zone in terms of how to think, right? Which would be different from how you think, right? Kind of the anti-confirmation bias yep. side of things. How do you go about identifying, you know, people that you think would at least give you a different way of looking at the world of investing 
Because if you only do it within the first two chapters, let's say, which by the way, I don't disagree with, you know, time is short, so you want to be efficient with it. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it's like, it, it's hard to get out of the bias of trying to find content that jives with you when maybe you should focus on things that are just totally different. I mean, I've, I myself have heard things about how astrology impacts more. I don't agree with it, <laughs> right? But it's like, yeah. you know, but I still think it has some, some it, it's worthwhile to put the effort, I guess, is the point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, X is cool. Twitter's cool where there's that for you tab. And so I'll see tweets from people who do completely different strategy, strategies for me. One example is this guy named The Short Bear. I'm sure many of us have heard of him. If not, I just recently followed him and we have completely different technical strategies. But he posts very insightful commentary on the, the general macro stuff and even just his mindsets on how he trades. And he trades with you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions worth of dollars. And so I hadn't seen sort of some of his his content before. And that's kind of where I'm like, oh, okay, I, I'm trying to, this all goes back to where am I trying to get better as a trader? And at the current moment, I'm trying to get exponentially better with my mindset. And so when he starts posting mindset stuff, um, I'm open to, if it's different than how I think you know, interacting or, or just pondering what he's saying. So I try to use social media in that sense. So my, my following will change over time as I develop and try to see where I'm deficient. And then, you know, I, I know at the end of the day, like I'm going to be trading a certain way, technically speaking. So I, I'm not necessarily trying to learn a new strategy just yet. But when I'm open, like well, let's go back to the options conversation. When I'm open to learning more about options and, and ready to kind of dive into that space, I'll try to find things that are different or content creators that are, you know, leading a different conversation, if that makes sense. What are some of the, the things that are on your, your watch list that you haven't quite pulled the trigger on? You know, again, not investment advice here, but yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting observations. Yeah, never, never investment advice, obviously, but I'm looking at the stock VRT. It just recently gapped up. So I guess just to go back real quick and kind of set the stage for what I trade, I, I look for high volume gap ups. So we're talking like after an earnings report, something that beat expectation, raised guidance, whatever the fundamental factor is that causes institutions to get in with you know some force. That's what I'm focused on. So we're looking at something like VRT, AC, HR. Those two recently have been on my watch list. I didn't pull the trigger on VRT because the the general market started crapping out. But, you know, then we have the the traditional NVIDIA, Netflix, Meta type names that, you know, everyone's kind of crying about leading the main returns for the general market this year. But, you know, when you're a TA-based trader, you have to go to where the money's flowing. And so those three names in terms of the liquid leaders are kind of my focus as well. Yeah, no, again, no, no doubt about that. As much as I keep screaming about NVIDIA because I think it's funny. I mean, clearly that's been where the momentum has been and it, you know, continues until it doesn't. I mean, that's always exactly. how this stuff works. For those that are, you know, maybe entering the market now, it's a very different environment, you know, today than obviously 2020, 2021 and 2022. I mean, all, all these periods have unique characteristics, but if somebody's entering the market now, what would you suggest they, they do in the first, you know, few months of of trading? Yeah, I mean, the, the first few months are, it's a lot of information all at once. So I would say one, start 
and kind of research strategies that make sense to you. You know, if you're kind of a a value based or you kind of like the idea of something like Rivian, right? Like where you have a maybe a fundamental economical, you know, thesis on a stock and, and you want to kind of go down that route, you have to find mentors, whether they actually mentor you or not, but you have to find those people who create content and write books and study the crap out of that stuff. I mean, when I first started, my first three months was no trading. I think that's a good key. You don't trade at all. You study, you know, as many hours as you can fit in a day of the people that you think are going to be, you know, helpful to your success. And then you start taking notes. And I think this, this is a big key that I haven't touched on yet, but just start journaling your thoughts as you watch the market day to day. So if you have thesis on a stock on January 1st, you, you know, write those thoughts down and the price at which you had those thoughts and then come back in March and say, okay, well, price is here. It's 10% above or 10% below. But that was my thesis. Let me learn from where I went wrong and where I went right. And so I would say, kind of just keep it simple. One, first three months, first five months, first six months in the market, read a lot, study the successful investors and successful traders in the space and strategy you want to implement. Don't trade and then take a lot of notes. I think that would be kind of the first broad advice I'd give to anyone just learning how to trade. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of just writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like, but yeah, I think it's missed. There's actually some interesting studies around how just even moving your hand and writing is creates accurate. It's a part of the brain that's different than typing. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Right, which is, and, it's and, like, yeah, yeah, it goes back to kind of the ancestral roots. Yeah, I mean, anytime I, I study a book in the market, you know, I can have the book on my iPad but, you know, I start writing with my Apple Pencil in the, in the book notes or on a separate notes app, or if I just have a hard, hard copy, you know, I'm taking a pen and I'm going to town on that thing. And that's how I've learned to synthesize material. And that even goes back to the, the business degree type stuff, you know, way back when we started this conversation. And that sort of structure helps me really retain information better. Greg, for those who want to read more your thoughts, where would you point them to? I have a free Substack that I post Weekly, it's been a little bit intermittent here over the past months as I've been traveling for competition, but I'm getting back on it. So yeah, I got, it's called Upside Unlimited. It's in my bio on Twitter or just, you know, follow me. I post a ton, trying to post more and kind of get back in the groove of the market. But I would say those two, those two places. I give you a lot of credit, Greg. I say that's not for the reason, but the truth. I mean, you, you speak very plainly, obviously are very intelligent and you're not, from what I can tell, Hey, bullshit artist, like I think a lot of people that I see on, on social media are, you know, kudos to you and I wish you luck on getting to the Olympics. If you do happen to get in and you get a gold medal, at least I can say I knew you when. Everybody, please give a follow to Greg and hopefully I will see you all again later. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a, it's been a great conversation. Cheers, everybody. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. 
Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube. And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.